Everybody loves mysteries, don't they? For the most part, except for y'all. <laughs> um, Sherlock Holmes, believe it or not, is the best-selling mystery series ever. Um, something about mysteries captivates. We do this at our house a lot. Um, we, uh, well, one of the that we like to watch is The Mentalist. Anybody like to watch The Mentalist? Okay, so it's just me and Wendy. Fantastic. Um, sometimes when we're watching a show like that, we'll actually pause the DVR every now and then, and we'll kind of talk through. We have our little, you try to guess, be the first person to guess who did it, right? You try to be the first person to figure out the mystery, so we'll kind of pause it, we'll talk. Um, and sometimes you figure it out if it's a lamely written show, but the best mysteries, if I'm right, are the ones that you can guess all day long, but in the end, there's some twist that you did not see coming, and boom, somebody did it, and you're like, dude, I can't believe it was his son. Like, his son killed his dad. What's up with that? You just never saw it coming. Those are the best mysteries. And we've been kind of reading through um, Ephesians. And here's something that you've got to know. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 today. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul mentioned a mystery, right? Um, He mentioned it, and he just kept on going. He never even said what it was. Now, we like mysteries because we like to figure them out. But one thing we don't like, we don't really like unsolved mysteries, we don't like it when, like, cold cases. Now, you'll watch a show on TV about cold cases, but you only watch it because, you know, in the end, the case gets solved. We don't like to be left hanging. We don't like to wonder. Those can nag at us. Mysteries, no proof, no evidence. They can haunt us. We weren't made for that. And so in this chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's going to kind of let his readers off the hook. Now, here's how this works for us. This is week 6 of a series called One in Ephesians. But if you were the church at Ephesus, and we were all sitting together, the way this would have worked, somebody would have walked in, they would have had a letter from Paul, they would have opened it up, and they would have just started reading. So you're hearing in week six something that we talked about way back in week one, but if this was the church of Ephesus, you'd be hearing the same day what you'd heard a few minutes earlier. So when he mentioned in chapter 1-9 that there's a mystery, the mystery of God's will, when, he, when they heard that, they're automatically thinking, mystery of God's will, mystery of God's will. And how many of you already think that God's will is mysterious? Right, because we're always like, God, what's your will? What's your will? We don't know what it is. So they would have heard that. They would have wondered about that. They would have been hearing everything else that Paul was saying that the person was reading. But they would have been thinking, what is the mystery? What is the mystery? Because we don't like when mysteries aren't solved. We like to have some kind of closure. And so here's what's going to happen today. Paul's going to actually, in Ephesians chapter 3, do something that all of you do. Your spouse does it. It drives you crazy. He's going to start a sentence and then stop in mid-sentence and just totally go talking about something else. How many of you are married to somebody like that? You're like, dude, finish what you started saying. You ever said something in the middle of your sentence you forgot what you were saying? Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen to me this morning, right? So Paul is writing, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he stops. If you got the NIV, you'll see that there's a dash there. And then literally, in this passage, from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, all the way to verse 13, in the Greek, it's one long parenthetical sentence. One, and what that means, that's a really fancy word for, it's all inside of parentheses. So he starts talking, he says Gentile, and he just like stops. He puts a big bracket of parentheses, and everything else that we're going to look at today comes inside of those parentheses. And here's what parentheses do. Where are my teachers? 
in the room. Okay, y'all already knew this, right? But I'm not smart like y'all, so hopefully I get this right. Parentheses have a purpose. And so when you're writing and you put something in parentheses, typically what you put in the parentheses is an example of what you just said. It's something to kind of illustrate what you just said. Like, some men are really handsome. Paul. That's how that works, right? Some wives are perfect. Wendy. Right? That's what we do. Some teams are great. Wolfpack. Some teams are of the devil. Tar Heel. Right? That's kind of how we... Okay, I might have used the wrong examples, but you get the point, right? That's kind of how this works. And so, and the thing is, what goes in the parentheses, and I really want you to get this. I'm not trying to do grammar. I want to make sure you get this. What goes inside the parentheses is never as important as what it's explaining. Never as important as what it's explaining. I think I got that right for the teachers in the house, and if I didn't, just tell me later because it will mess up the whole deal if I got it wrong. So, this whole statement that we're going to study this morning is in a parentheses. It's actually to illustrate. It's an example. That's what you're going to get out today. We're going to talk about parentheses a lot. So here's what we're going to talk about. The mystery of God's will. He's explaining what he said back in chapter 1. He said there's this mystery of God's will. And everybody, because they're living, went, yeah, that's right. That's a very mysterious thing. We don't understand God's will. We try to. We want to. I keep hearing people say I'm supposed to. It's supposed to help me in my life, but I don't understand it at all. And so here he goes. In 12 verses, he's going to explain what the mystery is, and he's going to explain what the mystery does. So here's number one. If you're filling in the blanks on your sheet, and if you don't like to fill in the blanks, you can doodle, and then you can just scan that QR code and print out the whole thing later, okay? Here's how this works. Number one, we're going to learn what the mystery is. Now, I'm going to read to you verses two through six, and there's a lot of language in here, and it's going to sound very intimidating. So when I get done with it, you're going to be like, huh? Just hang with me. Here we go. Chapter 3, starting at verse 2. Paul says this. This is all part of the parentheses. He's been talking about Gentiles. He stops and he says this. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me my revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men In other generations, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, this mystery, verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So when they were reading that to the church of Ephesians, everybody's like, what? I'm more confused. I thought you were going to explain the mystery. So let's talk right here in this section. What is the mystery? And here's number one. First thing we learn about the mystery. It's revealed to us. The mystery is revealed to us. It seems like a small thing, but it's, it's not. Um, here's how we think of mysteries. If, if all of you are going to play Sherlock, okay? If you're going to play Sherlock and you're going to solve the mystery, a mystery means that you put on your hat or whatever, you know, you put your cool solving all mysteries clothes you put them on and you start hunting for clues you start going everywhere you start asking people you got your little flip thing and you're taking notes or if you're really high tech you got your iphone your ipad and you're taking notes but you're looking for clues because you're trying to solve the mystery but that's not at all what the word means here this is not a mystery that we try to solve this is a mystery that is revealed to us 
This is like something so good, something so great that when we hear about it, we go, do what? Like if, if the Panthers call me tomorrow and said, we need a linebacker and you're our man and we're going to give you a $3 million signing bonus, y'all would be like, dude, that's a mystery because he's a wimp. And I'd be like, sweet. It would be revealed to me. You've heard this expression. I'm going to go ahead and shoot it down now. You've heard people say this, I found God. There's nowhere in the Bible that you'll find that. You didn't find God. He found you. He is a mystery that is revealed to us. That's what the mystery is. God's a better hunter than the duck commanders. He hunts people down. He sent Jesus to hunt people down. We don't think like that, do we? Jesus, you know, I was watching the bi- biathlons last night at the Olympics. Come skiing in, they take the gun off. We don't think of Jesus like walking into town, pulling the gun off, and picking people off for the kingdom, do we? But he was a really good hunter. Luke 19.10 says that he came to seek and save the lost. He was not sought out. He came to reveal a mystery. The mystery is revealed to us. And then the mystery is us. It's easy for this to get lost in the words that we're reading here in Ephesians. But here's the deal. The mystery, verse 6, is that the Gentiles are one with the Jews. Let's do a little review. Um, Those of you that were here last week. Last week we talked about a wall, right? Do you remember that? Talked about a wall that was separating the Jews and the Gentiles. And so this week, um, John and I, we were hanging out at lunch. We were talking, and he had brought a lexicon. It's a a book that's got lots of pictures and stuff in it. Am I that bad? Yeah, I figured. So it's got all these pictures in it of, like, the temple. And here's, how, here's what it looks like, okay? I always thought this wall was really big. And he's like, here's what I found out. And this, is, this blows my mind. The wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles was not so high that they couldn't see one another. The Gentiles could kind of come in and hang out to a certain degree in the temple. But they would walk up to this, this wall called a sorig, and it was four and a half feet tall. And it had little gates where you could go in if you wanted to, if you dared. But they had signs that said, basically, if you're a Gentile and you walk through here, God help you because you're going to die. So it's like getting invited to a party and seeing the cake and seeing the fun and the balloons and the scary clowns. But you can't go in. But you can stay right there. You can watch us have fun. Sorry, you can't have any. That's what the dividing wall of hostility was. And now you can see even more why it would create hostility. Right? Because if I'm on this side watching you eat cake, I want to punch you. Because you have something that I want and I can't get it. That's the wall that Jesus came and got rid of. But it's not just that we get to come in. That's not the mystery. That's not the mystery at all. It's not that insiders and outsiders suddenly came into the same room together. Jesus destroyed that. The mystery isn't that the mystery is that we are now one. And, and I was trying, because I want to make sure we get this all week long. I'm like, God, how do I explain that in a way that's not, like, totally boring, right? And then I'm watching the opening ceremonies for the Olympic Games. And it suddenly dawned on me. The Winter Olympics are the perfect illustration of how we think God makes us one. 
Every four years, the whole world comes together. They go to some country. This time it's a country with horrible water and horrible hotels. They go to some country, and it appears like the world gets along, right? Because, I mean, I'm watching this amazing light show that was the opening ceremonies. And it's just like, man, this is amazing. Like, I even started liking the Russian people. It's like, these guys are awesome. And you're thinking, the whole world's getting along. But you know what the world's doing? They're just sharing space. Every four years, the world comes together and we share space. We share space and we look like we get along. But don't you know the reality is that all these countries that are hanging out together, somewhere in there are some countries that when the games are over, they're going to try to kill the other country. That's not the Christian faith. The mystery is not that suddenly Jesus just got rid of a wall and said, okay, y'all just hang out together. The mystery is not that we can share space. The mystery is, in verse 6, literally, that he takes enemies and makes them one. Like there are people in here today that I would never be caught with if it wasn't for Jesus. And they would never be caught with if it was with me if it wasn't for Jesus. It's not that, let me use Doug and Justin, Eugene, people that they don't look like me because they're handsome. It's not that we tolerate each other or that we like each other less. It's that somehow God begins to knit your heart together with people who are very different from you. That is the mystery. Verse 6 says that we, we, have, we are co-heirs. We share in an inheritance. We share as members of one body. We share the promise. Suddenly, it's not just your cake, and now there's not a wall, and I can just stand here and watch you eat it, but now we're both eating cake. We're one. That's a mystery. So when Paul talks about the mystery in Ephesians, that's it. The mystery is us. I'm giving you permission to turn to the person next to you and say, I knew there was a reason why I never understood you. You are a mystery. So before we move on, I want to I make sure we get this. One more truth. This happens inside the parentheses, right? This happens in, in this passage, inside the parentheses. What it means is this, that when God talks about the mystery of the gospel, how it unites different people into one very, very very unified body. When he wants to give an example of that, he uses us. We're the parentheses. It's like, it's like this. God sits up in heaven, and God says this. Listen, everybody. I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring together people who would normally hate one another. I'm going to give them love for each other. I'm not just going to, not just any kind of love, but the kind of love that I have for them, it's going to be grace-filled, sacrificial, a serving kind of love. And it's going to be so unheard of, so seemingly impossible, that people are going to call it a mystery. But I'm going to tell them to look at the gathering as a real-life example of what this mystery looks like. See, the unity that the body of Christ has is supposed to blow people's mind. They're supposed to say, Wait a second. There's no way that could happen. It's a mystery. And then God puts in parentheses, uh, 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 but it does happen. Look at the gathering. That's the mystery. 
We are the mystery. What an honor. What a responsibility. To be the local expression of the mystery of God's will. To include people, all people, in his plan of salvation. So that's what the mystery is. Here's what the mystery does. Basically, it, it sends a message. Verses 7 through 13, let me read them and I'll just we'll drive it home and we'll wrap up. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So the mystery, it is us, but here's what it does. It sends a message. It sends three messages. First, it sends a message to the world. Paul said he was chosen by grace to show grace. He's always the least of all the apostles, but God called me by his grace. He called me to preach. Your, the verse we just read says the unsearchable riches of God. Um, this is going way, way back, but there was a movie called The Abyss. Um, I'm not, I didn't see it in the theater. I've seen it on syndication because it's like on every Saturday. And it's just about like this really huge hole in the bottom of the ocean, right? And like how far down can you possibly go? That's the kind of picture for this word unsearchable. It's like unfathomable. There's no way. You can dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. You can go and go and go and go and go, but you will never get to the bottom of the riches of God. So here's what that says. The message it sends to the world is this. You're outside, but God's bringing you in. It makes plain the mystery. The message to the world is you're wanted. I mean, you got people all around you. They work with you. Their lives are miserable. They tell you all the time. My bursitis is really kicking in, right? They tell you all the time. You hear, you're like, man, just, I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. Maybe you don't, but guess who does? God does. God wants to hear that stuff. God looks at people who are on the outside, and he says, you're wanted. I want you. It says a message to the enemy. Verse 10 is a crazy verse. Here's what it says. His intent, God's intent was that now through the church. Okay, before I even explain what this is, you got to look at the people next to you. Go ahead and look around. I know you're like, do, do they really do this a lot? We do. We look around because we're mysterious here. We're just like we're a big mystery. Well, this is the church, okay? Now, look, there's a big church, like the whole worldwide church, you know, like people that we'll never meet or in other countries and like, hey, they're in the church. But then there's the church, okay? And I, you just need to know, we've talked about this before, in Ephesians, especially when Paul writes, when he uses the word church, he typically has in mind this, okay? He writes a lot about one another's, love one another, serve one another. It's hard to serve a Christian in, in you know, Sri Lanka, but we serve here. And so when he talks about the church, he's talking about this. So what does verse 10 say? His intent, God's intent was that now through the church, now through the gathering, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's the enemy, okay? The rulers in spiritual realms and heavenly realms, that's like people that aren't around here. The mystery 
of us coming together as one sends a message to the enemy, Satan, his demons, people like that. We'll never meet them, we hope, right? And we hope we don't walk out the corner and go, oh, hey, you're Satan, right? But they're, but they're real. And this verse says that the mystery of how unified we are as a body sends a message to them. Now, I, I put in here the message it sends is you're defeated. And that sounds really good, right, because it matches with all the other ones. But if you read this, it says his intent was to show that God had manifold wisdom. So it's kind of like the message is my dad's smarter than you. Kind of like, nah, 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 nah. That's kind of the message, right? If you want to write down, nah, 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 you can't how many nahs there are and do that. You can do whatever you want. But that's kind of the message. Like, hey, nice try, devil, but you're a loser. My dad beat you. My dad's smarter than you. My dad's smarter than a fifth grader. He's smart. He's got manifold wisdom. He doesn't just have wisdom. He has manifold wisdom. He's got, like, wisdom that you can't even measure. So he's got this unsearchable cavern of riches. He's got this wisdom that doesn't end, and you're no match for him. So you're so stupid, devil, that if you read Colossians, you actually hatched a plan, huh, thought you did, to kill him, and it was his plan all along to use your plan to show that you're an idiot. That's my dad. So you're defeated. See, that's what unity does. It says to the enemy, Nice try, but you lose. It sends a message to the world. It sends a message to the enemy. It sends a message to the believer. The mystery of being one in Christ gives us the confidence to know that we have access to God. He says in verse 11, I'm sorry, in verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Here's what this means. Unity in the church. This is a message to everybody in the church. You can come to your dad any time. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't have red-headed stepchildren. God, he loves equally all of his children. Now, We can get crazy and go all like the whole world message, God loves all the children, right? But we know in Ephesians, all this is grounded by two words. We learned them at the very beginning. This is written to people who are in Christ. So in Christ, guess what? If I'm having a bad day, I read my Bible five minutes this week, and Wendy read her Bible for, you know, however many hours during the week, minus five minutes because she had to take a break. I can go to God just as much as she can. Now, I may approach God differently, like, sorry, screwed up, but he's not, he's not doing this to me. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about putting you up for adoption. I'm not sure I like you as much anymore, Paul. I had bigger plans for you. You're not quite working out. Man, this mystery gives me confidence, even in my worst times, to approach God. It sends a message loud and clear to the believer You're accepted. There is nothing you can do to make God accept you more. So, we know what the mystery is. It's the revealed grace of God in Christ that makes one body out of many different people. We've seen what the mystery does. It sends a message to the world, to the enemy, and to the believer. The gospel of grace to sinners will always be a mystery. 
why would God give such an immeasurable gift? Now, in case, because it's easy for your, your eyes to glaze over, so everybody look at me real quick. Let's put all the church talk aside. How do we know that the grace of God is a mystery to the world? Because your friends look at you and go, he saved you? Are you kidding me? Like, I know you. I've seen you at your worst. It was yesterday. I'm not sure that Jesus thing is working in your life. The world, we're not Mother Teresa probably. And even Mother Teresa probably had people in her life that went, do what, seriously, you? And then, they, of course, they got struck by lightning and died. But anyway, all of us have people in our lives that see the worst of us. And so when we start talking about the mystery that God loved us, that he accepts us, that he brings us in, we were outsiders, now we're insiders. He has made us one with people that we never even liked before. They go, what? There's no way that you could be accepted. I know you. The, the grace of God is always going to be a mystery to the world. But, and I want you to get this, it was never intended to be mysterious. I was thinking about mysteries. Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster. We, we think, you know, those are unsolved mysteries, and they kind of captivate us, and, you know, Bigfoot especially. I mean, when they start talking about Bigfoot maybe being here, you're like, somebody's drinking, somebody's smoking crack. I mean, something's, something's not right. Bigfoot's not here. There's no way. And then we're going to do a reality show about finding Bigfoot, and they want to come here. Um, this is Albemarle, right? There's no Bigfoot here. I mean, there's some people with big feet, but there's no Bigfoot here. So we like to search for the answers to the mysteries, but here's the thing. Here's what you have in common. Here's what you have in common with Bigfoot and with the Loch Ness Monster. You are a mystery. You're, you're hard to figure out. God is doing something so amazing in you that it's a mystery to the people around you. That's what you have in common with Bigfoot. And the Loch Ness Monster. Here's what you don't have in common with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. They're, they're not real. They, they're, uh, they're mysterious. They're mysterious because you can't quite figure it out. But I want to make sure that we get this, okay? Unity in the body of Christ is a mystery. It's too good to be true. But it's not mysterious because it can be seen clearly in you. I don't usually tell you what I title my sermons because it's usually not that good. But I'm pretty proud of this one, okay? So I asked Derek to throw it up there so you can see it. Um, this, is the, this is the message title today. Understanding the mysterious, get it? You like that? See, you like that? That's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. So I want to make sure that you get this. So we're going to just dissect it, point it out, and I'm just going to have my moment here because it's amazing and all that. Um, listen, the way that the world understands the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is through us. And when they, when they look at us and they see an example of what it really means to be saved by the grace of God and unified by the grace of God, it becomes less mysterious to them. We, we want to act like church is mysterious. It's not. Church is not mysterious. Church is very simple. It's a bunch of people that didn't like each other before. They all get saved. They follow Jesus. He puts them in a room, stirs them up, and they really don't like each other then. But they love Jesus. And they love the Jesus that loves the person that they didn't really like. 
and they start to get to know each other, and they hear the story of what the grace of God is doing in their lives, and guess what starts to happen? Different people come together. And so the world says, we try to get along. We can't even get along. And they look at the church and go, wait a second, y'all are getting along. Like, you actually like each other. You actually love each other. You would die for each other. How do you do that? It's a mystery to them. And then we become the example. God's able to say, look, Albemarle, listen, I love you. I want the best for you. I don't want you to be outside. I want you to come inside. And I love you so much that I have created this place called The Gathering. And they are a real-life, real-time example of real people coming together as one. I did that because I'm God. And if you ever want to see what this mystery looks like, take a Sunday at 10 o'clock and go downtown and walk into the place with the orange wall. And they get to walk in and go, wow. There's a lot of people here that look different. They like each other. And when they don't like each other, they talk and figure it out. I like it here, and I don't know why. But it's not mysterious. It's right here in plain view. Here's the big idea. It sums it up. And it's going to have a big word in it, but I'm going to put it up on the screen for you because I couldn't spell it if I didn't have it on the screen. We are in the parentheses because we explain the mystery. We are in the parentheses because we explain the mystery. Now, again, we, we have big ideas because I'm smart enough to know that you're not going to remember half of or even 10% of what I said. So we make the outlines available to you online. But we also try to give you one idea. Like, if you just don't remember anything else, if you just walk out, really, if you just walk out and just remember parentheses, we're in the parentheses, you'll be good. But we are in the parentheses because we explain the mystery. Here's, here's the sobering thought. I want us to, to think about this as we're kind of closing. If God wants to explain the mystery to the world by putting us in the parentheses, if he points people to come to the gathering... Or, or any other church in the county. It's not just us. Any other church in the county. And he says, go to that church, and you will see in that church people that are different but are becoming one. You will see Blue Devils and Tar Heels and the Pitiful Wolfpack team player fans. You'll see them all in one place, and they'll love each other. Go see that, and you'll see what the mystery of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. If he says that to somebody, and they show up in here, and we're just like yelling and fighting and pushing and hitting each other and like picking up chairs and throwing them at each other, they wouldn't hurt because they're really comfortable. If what they saw in here was exactly what they see out in the world, then the shame of this is, to them, the gospel is not a mystery anymore. It's a myth. And they will walk back out the doors and say, that's not real. And we will become Bigfoot. We will become the Loch Ness Monster. And they will say things like, I tried church. They're just a bunch of bigots. They have to have it their way. And if you don't do it their way, they won't let you come in. Or they'll give you a T-shirt so you can wear it and tell everybody how great they are, but they don't really like you. See, that's, that's, the, that's the sobering thought, is that we actually have a great responsibility to show the world, to be the example to the world of what true unity is. We're not one so we can feel good all the time. We're one so the world will have a living, breathing, real-life example of this mystery. Jesus came to bring those far together with those near 
to make one family. No more outsiders, only followers of Jesus, inside together, truly loving one another. And that is crazy. And that is unprecedented. And that is always going to be a mystery to the world. And when they look for the example, my prayer is that our unity will be what explains the mystery of grace. Let's pray. God, just as we kind of let that settle in our minds, in our hearts, I want to say to you in front of this church, what a blessing it is to pastor people who genuinely love one another. How, how refreshing it is to be able to teach a, a passage of Scripture like this without an agenda. Just knowing that we just, man, we're teaching your word, God. And, and here we are in a church that is good, and we so, God, we just want to be the best example of the grace of God that we can be. We want to be the church that you could send people to that have tried other places, have never seen the grace and love of Jesus, and would walk into this place and suddenly be encountered with a church that's in the parentheses that is a living example of the mystery of the will of God, that all men far and near would come to be made one in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege and the honor of serving you in our city like that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.